need to turn that up, turn that up, because if you'd have drove past the Wadsworth campus while this was happening, you could have heard it in your car. It was absolutely unbelievable. Over 350 kids attended. Over 150 volunteers helped make it happen all last week. And the most important thing above all, 15 first-time decisions of children accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? Over $5,000 they gave of their own money to, they would bring in dimes, and they bring in quarters. There was coins everywhere in the hallways last week. Over $5,000 going to build hope, which will happen in August at our Wadsworth campus where we will construct literally all of us, the volunteers, will be invited to the parking lot to construct two homes that will go to families in Kentucky who have lost their homes because of the storms. Um, it's going to be a great, great service project for both campuses to take part in. But isn't that cool that they gave, I think, over $5,300 through the week to pay for those two houses? It's a thrill for me to be back today. I'm still a little raspy uh, from this mystery called COVID. Uh, I can go in spurts, and then I like, oh, you know. So when I'm pressing it today, this is the first time I've tried to talk for 20, 25 minutes straight. So as you're sitting there, you can pray my voice, last through all this, and then I don't collapse. If I collapse, Joe, pick me up. All right, do that. Fall backwards. <laughs> it is among the fastest growing crimes in our country. It happens to over 9 million people each year. The crime, stolen identity. It's scary to think that people can get a hold of our credit information. They can get a hold of our credit card numbers our social security numbers, and then anything can happen. Just this, a month ago, I had to change my checking account, I had to change my debit card, I had to change everything because silly me tapped on a few things that I thought was the bank on my phone. Everything looked identical to Huntington Bank. But I got to the end and something alerted me. I don't know if this is the bank. And it gave you a phone number to call. I called that number and it actually rang into Huntington Bank. And Huntington Bank said, this isn't us. Stop what you're doing. And I had to change everything. Anybody experienced something like that? Or you're not as dumb as I am, right? One person described it like this. It was a big, nasty surprise when Chevron King Lewis, a 23-year-old single mom from Atlanta, checked her credit report. She found that someone had opened 25 credit accounts, taken out loans, filed for a marriage license in her name. King Lewis says that she tracked down the culprit, a former Taco Bell co-worker that used to stay at her house, must have gone through her personal information. Her ex-colleague had run up over $35,000 in charges, including a car. She said this, it's really scary knowing that someone else 
has been living my life. Scary. Scary to even think about, but it's happening. And I see it happen in many ways in life. Do you guys remember this little game? If you had toddlers or if you have grandkids now, an interesting little game where you can take the pieces and the object is, yeah, you take the pieces. There you go. The object is to take a round hole or round piece and put it in to the round hole, a square, a triangle piece, put it into the triangle hole. I actually think I've heard this is the SAT test to get into the University of Michigan, right? Yeah. But I watch my grandkids do this, and I watch my kids years ago do it. It's been around for ages. And I watched them get frustrated as they were really, really young, and they tried to put a square hole or square peg into a round hole or a round peg into a square hole and even take a hammer and try to pound it in there. And I got to thinking about this game and about life. And there are millions and millions of people who every day are trying to cram a square piece into a round hole of life. Trying to find their purpose, trying to find their meaning, getting frustrated all along the way. A guy named Solomon, the richest guy who ever lived, made you and I look like Bill Gates. He had every resource available to him. In his personal journal, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, he said, I said to myself, I, I said to my heart, come now, let's just see what's going to fill up that hole in my heart. And he tried everything, as he puts it, everything under the sun to try to fill up that hole. And he had all the resources to try to fill it. He had real estate, mansions, palaces, gardens, parks, reservoirs. He tried music. He tried sexual encounters. He had the best food, best wine, best parties available. But when he got to the end of his life, you remember what he said? He said, you know what I discovered? It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. It's like a chasing after the wind. It's like trying to cram a square peg into a round hole. And ultimately, we discover that deep within our hearts is a God-shaped hole that can only be filled by one person. A bit later, he wrote in the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 22, he says, here's my conclusion. What a man, what a woman desires, what they're really after is an unfailing love. What they're really after is an unfailing love. And we search after love and we think love is ultimately going to fill that hole. There are love songs by the thousands, love novels, bending bookshelves in libraries. Remember the old movie, Jerry Maguire? Dating myself. 
Tom Cruise was in it, and there are three lines that came out of that movie that are even still around today. Remember what they were? Probably the most popular one was, show me the money. money. Another one was, you had me at hello. And then one that is really hits it is when he looks at his wife and he says, you complete me. You complete me. My wife, Brenda, and I have been marrying in August be 39 years. We dated for seven years before that. She was my high school sweetheart. And we've been in love for 46 years. That's a long time. I'm kind of hurting this morning because she's still, she's like five days behind me dealing with COVID. And so she's not here. But she is the love of my life. She's my best friend. I'd rather do something with her than do something with any of you guys. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what? Even after 46 years, she doesn't complete me. And truth be known, if she were here this morning, she would tell you the same, that I don't complete her. I love what the woman said, I thought I married Mr. Right. I just didn't know his first name was always, right? <laughs> when we expect another person, even our spouse, to complete us, that relationship can ultimately end, us in frust end up in frustration and even in failure. Solomon said, what a man, what a woman desires is an unfailing love. And here's where we get messed up. So many of us continue to try to cram a square peg into a round hole, meaning we try to cram imperfect relationships in life into a God-shaped hole that can only be filled by one person. And what happens is it begins to distort our identity. And we start to live our lives by other people's opinions or other people's feelings or other people's actions. See it all the time. Why do high school students, no matter what year it is, no matter what decade it is, why do high school students continue to do, do things and become somebody that they're really not just in order to fit in with a certain group of people or a certain girl or a certain guy? Why do you think millions and millions of women stay in an abusive relationship? Why do men and women compromise their values at work? Why do we end up codependent on codependent patterns in our life and relationships where we just want to feel like we're needed? It's because all of us are searching for significance. We're searching for meaning. And oftentimes we end up searching in the wrong places. We spend our lives trying to cram a square peg of a relationship with imperfect people into a round hole in our heart. And our identity gets stolen and we end up letting other people live our lives. I want to illustrate this by giving you three pronouns this morning. And here they are on the screen, they, me, and he. 
Say that with me. If we're not careful, we can end up just ping-ponging back and forth between the first two. Look at the first one, they. We say, what did they say to you? What did they say to me? What did they do to you? What did they do to me? And so many times we let they determine who we are. And this is huge. The problem is they, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a coach, a child, a friend, someone you're dating, when we let they say things about us and we accept those things that can scar us for life, even in good, healthy relationships, they cannot produce for us an unfailing love because they will betray you. They will break promises. They will break vows. They will exclude you. They will reject you. They will disappoint you. They may even abuse you. And we get hurt by someone that we're expecting to complete us. Our identity gets stolen. And we get a distorted view even of ourselves. Many maybe can still hear the hurtful words that they spoke to you. Perhaps many, many years ago. You're an accident. No one will ever love you. You're too slow. You're too, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're never going to make it. Whatever those words are that they spoke to us continue to haunt us even to this day if we let them. Then the next one, me. We also get a distorted vision and image of ourselves when we let ourselves speak into ourselves. Here's what happened. We re- happens. We receive what they say, and then if we're not careful, we can start to believe that what they say is true about me. I guess I am too slow. I guess I am, I'm not that smart. I guess I am an accident. I guess, I guess they were right. And we play ping pong between they and me, me and they. We bounce back and forth and that can become our thumbprint if we're not careful. And that can become our identity as to who we are. You probably know a guy by the name of Ted Giannalos. Even if you've never heard his name, you probably know him. Here he is. He is or was the San Diego chicken mascot. How many of you have seen this guy? All right. You don't know him, but you really do know him. <clears throat> Ted, he had no family. At age 50, he had been the chicken most of his life. It became his whole identity. No one knew the real Ted. He had no family. This outfit altered his ego. He said, I became somebody I never thought I could be when I put on that costume. All of a sudden, I had freedom. I didn't have to be Ted. I could be the chicken. And that was his life. But ultimately, 
he paid a price for it. Dave Raymond, who for years wore the costume of the Philly fanatic, said, Ted was the first and the funniest. I have nothing but respect for him. But if you're not careful, you can lose yourself in that suit. Ted himself said this, I have plenty of chicken stories. I'm afraid I don't have many Ted stories. A lot of us let other people live our lives so much so that we've got plenty of our parents' stories, plenty of our bosses' stories, plenty of our spouses' stories, and maybe even plenty of our children's stories, but we don't have any Ted stories. And worse than that, we don't have any God stories. One more pronoun, from they to me, from me to he. And this one's huge. What does he say about me? What does God say about me? Remember again what Solomon said, what a man, what a woman desires is an unfailing what? Love. An unfailing love. That little phrase there is mentioned over 40 times in the Bible. And every time it's used, that little phrase is used in connection with the only one who can actually give us an unfailing love. Deep within our hearts is a godlike shape. And they and me can't fill it. But it is a perfect fit for Jesus, the Son of God. That's the only one who can fill that hole. Romans 12, 3, Paul writes, for by, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. The only accurate way we have to understand ourselves, to discover our identity, to keep our identity is by what God says and who God is. So I want us to spend some time reflecting on what God says about us. What is it that God wants you to think about yourself? One phrase is, is this. He said, I want you to think and think it to yourself saying, I am acceptable. Say it with me. I, I am acceptable. Again. We spend our lives trying to earn the respect, trying to be accepted by our parents, by our peers, by our spouses, by our workmates, by even people that we envy. And all along, God would want you to understand you're acceptable just as you are. The Bible says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on anything that we do, anything that we say. The fact is we don't even deserve to be accepted. But Romans 5.8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, accepted us. Another one, I am valuable. I am valuable. Say that with me. 
how can you tell if something is valuable or not? What determines your value? What determines the value of anything? Emily, come on over here, Matt. Yeah, come on. She's like, what? Let me see her. <laughs> what? Well, let's do this. Let's auction off her ring. Oh. I'm sure she won't care. Uh. All right? Here we go. Then <clears throat> we won't take it off. <laughs> Who wants to give me $100 for this diamond ring? All right? Just one person? Seriously? A thousand. All right, got two. 2,000. I ain't got another one. What determines the value of this? How many carrots? <laughs> no idea. All right. What, deter what determines the value of this is not what the jeweler says. It's not what the current market says. You know what determines the value of this ring? What you and I are willing to pay for it, right? Give her a hand. What you and I are willing to pay for it. Now, take that thought. How valuable are you? What God says about you is you are so valuable that I will allow my only begotten son to die for you. That's your price tag. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 from the message. It says it cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, he died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought. Lewis Smeads wrote, it may be a bad thing that I needed, I needed God to die for me, but it's a wonderful thing that God thinks I'm worth dying for. Whenever you begin to doubt, whenever you begin to lose your identity, think back to the cross. Think back to the fact that God said, this is how valuable you are, that I am gonna let my son die in your place. I am acceptable. I am valuable. I am forgivable. I am forgivable. Even though we don't deserve it, God has forgiven us. God's forgiven you. Isaiah 43, 25 says that God remembers our sins no more. God doesn't hold our sins against us. God doesn't hold a grudge. They might. 
me might, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in your life, your sins are no more. Your sins are no more. He doesn't rub your sins in. He rubs them out. He doesn't retrieve your sins over and over again. He releases your sins. And so this morning, I want us just to pause as we do each week and every week. I want you to grab a hold of the emblems of communion because there's no better way to reflect on the fact that you are forgivable and that God has taken care of all your sins. You are valuable. You are accepted by the God of the universe. I want you to just take a moment and right now go ahead. I'm going to pray. And go ahead and take the bread representing Jesus' body, the juice representing Jesus' blood that continues to flow and cover our sins. Father, we thank you so much. God, that even in this world where it can be so confusing, God, that we can lose our identity, our identity can be stolen by they, even by ourselves. God, this morning as we take these emblems, we thank you for what you have done for us. God, your sacrifice on the cross that makes us worthy, worthy of your love and worthy of all eternity. We take these emblems right now, God, in remembrance and in worship and awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I am acceptable, I am valuable, I am forgivable, and then finally, very simply, I am lovable. Say it with me, I am lovable. One more time, I am lovable. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. There's that phrase again. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. I pray that you be rooted and established in love. You being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The Greek word for grasp there literally means to apprehend, to grab a hold of it, to capture it. Actually comes from the root word rust. Rust. Meaning to allow God's love to rust all the way through you. To eat all the way inside of you. Paul's saying if you do that, if you grasp a hold of this and you let it like rust, God's unfailing love eat all the way through you, you will discover your true identity. Your identity will not be stolen. 
by they or me because it resides in he. Brennan Manning, in his book, The Signature of Jesus, tells of a nun who was attending one of the Christian conferences where he was speaking. He said she was the type of woman who neither smiled or sighed, laughed or cried, reacted or responded to any of us. Then one afternoon, he said, on the fourth day of the conference, I asked a group of people where she was in the group. I asked them what kind of change had happened in their life the past few days. A few minutes of silence went past and the unresponsive nun reached for her journal and spoke up. She said, something happened to me yesterday and I wrote it down. You were speaking about the compassion of Jesus. You developed two ideas of Jesus as a husband and a lover found in Isaiah 54 and Hosea chapter 2. Then you quoted the words from St. Augustine that said, Christ makes the best husband. Christ makes the best husband. You asked us to close our eyes, and almost the moment I did, something happened. In my mind, I was transported to a large ballroom filled with people. I was sitting by myself in a wooden chair, and a man approached me and took my hand and led me onto the dance floor. He held me in his arms as we danced. The tempo of the music increased, and we, and we whirled faster and faster. The man's eyes never left my face. His radiant smile covered me with warmth, delight, and a sense of acceptance. Everyone else on the floor stopped dancing. They were staring at us. The beat of the music increased, and we danced around the room in reckless rhythm. I glanced at his hands, and then I knew brilliant wounds of a battle long ago, almost like signature carved in the flesh the music tapered to a slow melody and Jesus rocked me back and forth as the dance ended he pulled me close to him do you know what he whispered the nun asked tears rolling down her cheeks and we were silently waiting to hear and though her face was beaming tears kept falling Finally, she spoke. She said, Jesus whispered to me, Christine, I'm wild about you. Christine, I'm wild about you. Take your name. Jeff, I'm wild about you. Put your name in there. Go ahead. Say it out loud. Jeff, I'm wild about you. One more time. God says this about you. One more time. Jeff, I'm wild about you. Deep within our hearts is a God-like shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big. No heart is too small. Jesus is the answer. He fits them all. He fits them 